Good morning and Merry Christmas Eve to everybody. I hope everybody has, a, has had a great holiday season. It goes by so fast. Uh, but I hope you have a great, great Christmas tomorrow with your, you and your family. And I just hope it's a great day. I know Santa's not going to come visit any of these kids in here, right? Um, no, I really do hope it's a great, a great Christmas for everybody. And uh, we're just glad that you're here this morning. Got a lot of guests with us. We have a lot out as well, but we're just glad everybody's here for worship this morning. You know, this is the time of the year, as has already been said this morning, where a lot of people are thinking about Jesus. Both Christians and non-Christians alike are, are thinking about him, are singing about him. And do we know Jesus was born on Christmas Day? That's what everybody's really focusing on during this time. Do we know that for a fact? No, we don't. Probably never will. But like Dad was saying earlier, what matters is that he did come. And what David has also been talking about, why he came. Over the last couple of weeks, David's done some lessons on why Jesus came. And that's the important part, that he did come and the why behind his coming. But if people are going to be talking about Jesus and thinking about him, I want to do the same, right? And David said that as well. Um, and so that we are, people are thinking about the birth of Jesus Christ around this time. But I have to say, this, the coming of Jesus Christ, the coming of God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, is not something that we should just reserve for one time of the year. It's not just something we should be thinking about on Christmas Day or just in the holiday season. This is something we should be pondering, we should be celebrating and marveling at all the time. The fact that God became a man that Jesus Christ came is an amazing thing. It's beyond groundbreaking. It's beyond monumental. It's beyond important that Jesus Christ came. And it's something we should be thinking about again all the time. And so this morning, I do want to talk about the coming of Jesus Christ, the coming of God in the flesh. I want to point to just three things that we need to consider this morning to help us better understand the coming of Jesus and also to help us better appreciate just what he did by coming here to earth. So let's do that this morning by looking at three points. Number one, let's consider what Jesus left. Let's consider what Jesus left. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus came from heaven to earth. Let's start looking at uh, John chapter 1. One of the greatest openings to any book in history John starts the, his gospel by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then skipping down to verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word here is none other than, than Jesus. Who else could, it could be described as having dwelt among us? but also having been since the beginning before the creation and who was with God and was and is God, it's Jesus. And John's words echo here a lot of the, the Genesis account, Genesis 1, the creation account, that is, where the Bible opens, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And by God's spoken word, everything comes into existence. He, he says, let there be light, and there is light, and John goes on here, we didn't read these verses, but in, in 2 and following, all things came into being through the Word. The Word being 
Jesus. And so John says that the word was God, he was with God in the beginning. So if, G if Jesus is the word and he's been with God, well, where's God? And the Bible makes that very clear as well, that God resides in heaven. Remember when Jesus was teaching the disciples to pray in Matthew 6, verse 3, he says, Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father who is in heaven. And Jesus makes it plainly clear that he came from heaven. In John chapter 6, he's teaching the crowds and, and he, he tells them that he came down from heaven. Look what he says in John 6, 38. And then the response from the people in verses 41 to 42, he says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down out of heaven? Jesus told them plainly, I've come down from heaven to do my father's will. And they're, they're confused about that because they're saying, hold on a second, Jesus, we know your parents. We know Mary and Joseph. How can you say that you're from heaven and we know where you came from? We know Joseph and Mary. See, they didn't realize that the birth of Jesus was a miraculous birth from the Holy Spirit. They didn't realize, you know, the things that we just read, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. They were misunderstood about who Jesus was. Jesus says, I have come down from heaven. And there are many other passages we could read. John chapter 3, he's talking, Jesus talks to Nicodemus, and he tells him that he descended from heaven. It's pretty clear Jesus came from heaven to earth. Now, now that we've established that, can you imagine <clears throat> can you imagine leaving heaven to come to earth? Well, we can't imagine that because we've never been there, but I think you get where I'm going here. That glorious place to come from that glorious place to, to earth. We don't get a whole lot of description, uh, a, a ton of description of heaven in, in the scriptures, but we do have uh, John's vision of the new heavens and the new earth in Revelation chapter 21. And I do want to read what John writes there in, in this description of this city where God dwells. is this glorious place. Look what John says in Revelation 21, 3 and 4, and then we'll skip to some other verses in this chapter. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. They shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no, no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Notice that there's no longer any death. There's no mourning. There's no crying. There's no pain. But notice he continues on in verses 18 to 21 with this description of this city that he's seeing. And, and he, he, he says this, the material of the wall was jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation stones of the city were all adorned with every kind of precious stone. And then he goes on to, to mention all of these precious stones like emerald and all of these other stones that are there, topaz. And the gates, he says, were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Now, 
again, the, the book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature. It's highly symbolic and figurative language. But there can be no mistake that heaven is a glorious place. Where God dwells is the most glorious and beautiful place. Because, of course, he's there. But then all of these precious stones and precious things that John's trying to describe here. But also there's no, there's no death. There's no mourning. There's no, there's no crying. None of that there. And Jesus left heaven to come here. Jesus left the glorious, the most glorious place where God dwells to come and reside among men. Doesn't that make you appreciate what he did all the more? Knowing what he left to come to earth, to a place here where there is mourning, where there is crying, where there is death, where there is sorrow, where we all have griefs and pains. He came down to this place where there's also sin here on earth. This is where he left heaven to come to earth. Sometimes we sing a song called Ivory Palaces that speaks to this point, what Jesus left to come to earth. And I just wanted to read uh, really the first verse and the, the chorus of this song. It says, my Lord has garments so wondrous fine and myrrh their texture fills. Its fragrance reached to this heart of mine with joy my being thrills. Out of the ivory palaces and into a world of woe, only his great eternal love made my savior go. Only his great eternal love made my savior go out of the ivory palaces and into this world of woe. So considering what Jesus left, it makes me appreciate all the more his coming, that he left heaven to come to earth where there are things like death and sin and mourning and crying. And so that's the first thing I want us to consider this morning. Secondly, I want us to consider what Jesus went through on earth. Let's consider what Jesus went through on earth. And I want to point to three things here. This will not encapsulate everything he went through. But I do want to point to a, a few things in particular. Number one, Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted. Folks, the Hebrews might, uh, writer makes it very clear in Hebrews 4 verse 15. He says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all points, all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus has been tempted, just like we are. We're tempted. We're, we have this enticement to sin. Satan is tempting every one of us. Throughout this life, we face different temptations, and we feel that, that pull sometimes, that pressure. Now, folks, understand, temptation and sin are not the same thing, because we have it here. Jesus was tempted, yet he did not sin. He faced that pressure from Satan to give in to sin, but Jesus didn't do it. You can recall Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus, before he begins his ministry, he goes out into the wilderness and he's fasting. And what happens? Satan tempts him on three separate occasions. And each time, Jesus, he resists it. He resists the temptation. He quotes scripture. He resists the temptation. But he felt that temptation and I know, again, all of us, consider our lives, the, the temptations that we've faced. How many times have we given in? How many times have we given in to that, that pressure, that, that enticement, or that urge? We're tempted, and a lot of times we give in. Jesus never did it. 
He faced the temptation, and yet he never sinned, but he went through it. And because he went through it, the Hebrews writer says, we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what it's like to be in our shoes to face that temptation. But he's the model. He never sinned. He never gave in. But isn't that an amazing thing to consider that Jesus, God in the flesh, he faced temptation. But he never gave in. Secondly, under, understand that Jesus was rejected and ridiculed in this life. You know, Jesus taught the most amazing teachings that have ever been recorded in history. Things that have, that have stood the test of time that we talk about every single week here in worship and in Bible class. And people all around the world are reading Jesus' teachings. The most amazing teachings that have ever been. He performed some of the most amazing signs. Healing the sick, the lame, the blind. Calming storms, feeding the 5,000. Doing amazing things that proved that he was more than just a man. And yet people rejected him. People heard his teachings. People, people saw his miracles, his signs, and they rejected him. In fact, there are a couple of times in Scripture where people went so far as to say, this guy has a demon. They accused Jesus of having a demon. And of course, that's the exact opposite of who, who Jesus was. But that's what people said about him. They rejected him and said, no, no, this can't be. This can't be anything more than just a man. And they, they rejected him. And there are times when people reviled him and, and ridiculed him. Remember when he's undergoing his trials right before his death, they're, they're falsely accusing him. They're mocking him, the Roman soldiers in particular, mocking him. When he's hanging on the cross, people are wagging their heads at him and, and mocking him while he's hanging there. He went through this rejection and ridicule. And folks, even Jesus' own kindred did not believe in him at first look at what john 7 verse 5 for not even his brothers were believing in him not even his own brothers were believing in him no doubt they had heard and seen what he had done and they didn't believe in him they rejected who he was and what he had done and so he came to this earth and he's rejected and ridiculed He's, he's accused falsely. He's accused of having a demon at times. People rejecting him left and right. He went through all of that here on earth. And then consider also the fact that Jesus was crucified. Folks, Jesus underwent the ultimate humiliation and pain by dying on the cross. Luke 23, <coughs> 33 says... When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Jesus was treated like a criminal, like a, like a robber or a thief. He was numbered with them. Even though he did nothing wrong, he never sinned, he was innocent, yet he was treated like a criminal. And nails were driven through his hands, nails were driven through his feet. The crown of thorns was placed on his head. And even before that, folks, let's consider the fact that he went, underwent extreme agony in the garden. His sweat drops became as blood there in the garden, thinking about what he was about to endure. And then what happens? He undergoes these mockery of trials, and he's slapped in the face. He's, he's falsely accused. We've already mentioned that. 
But the Roman soldiers put that crown of thorns on him and they, they're hitting him in the head. And also, let's not forget that he's scourged. Pilate has Jesus scourged, beaten with these whips. And Jesus underwent all that pain. And then he's crucified. That's what he underwent. Consider the things that Jesus went through. Just that alone, the, the scourging and the crucifixion, is the ultimate pain and suffering. That's what Jesus went through here on earth. And again, it makes me appreciate all the more Jesus is coming because of what he went through for you and for me. The fact that he went through the entire human experience and then some. And we haven't even mentioned the fact that he knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like to, to be weary. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be thirsty. What it was like to, to be disappointed and frustrated. He knew what it was like. He faced the human emotions that we face. God came down and faced the things that we've been through and then some. And that, again, that makes me appreciate it all the more what he went through. Now, I think Isaiah 53 sums this up so well. We, we see this as a prophecy of, of Jesus Christ, of the Messiah. And it sums this point up considering all that Jesus went through. Look what he says in Isaiah 53, <coughs> verses 3 to 8. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising for our well, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? Again, I can't think of any better way to sum all this up that Jesus bore our iniquities, that he was pierced for our transgression. He was, he was forsaken, or he was uh, acquainted with grief. He was like one whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Consider all the things that Jesus went through here on earth. And you can't help but appreciate what he went through, what he did for you and for me. And then finally, I do want us to consider what Jesus came to do. What Jesus came to do here on earth. David's been doing some lessons on why Jesus came. There's several statements in scripture where Jesus says, I have come. And then he says something like, I have come that they may have life abundantly. And David's gone over a couple of those. So I don't want to dive too much into this. But I do want us to consider this because I feel like it's just so very important. First of all, consider what, I think to help us understand this, consider what Jesus did not come to do. Folks, Jesus did not come to establish an earthly kingdom. There's a time in Scripture where the, the people want to take Jesus by force and make him king, and he slips away. Because that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come to overthrow the Roman government, uh, the, the Roman uh, oppression, and, and then 
establish an earthly reign. That's not what he came to do. He says his kingdom's not of this world. Jesus didn't come to be like, like kings that we see in Scripture. We've been going over Daniel in the men's class. And we read about Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and Darius. And these kings are very rash. And, and it's kind of like their way or no way. Their way or you're dead. And that's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus wasn't just this, this tyrant or this, this boss that said, if you don't do what I say, then you're gone. Jesus wasn't like those, the, the kings that we see, other kings that we see. Jesus didn't come to force his way upon people. But he tells us very plainly what he came to do. And again, David's gone over some of those, but I think one verse encapsulates it all. And it's Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save lost humanity. All of us, at one point or another, have been lost in sin. And folks, that is the most desperate place to be in. The, the, the most dire state to be in is to be lost in sin. But thank goodness Jesus came. Thank God that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And this is in the story of Zacchaeus, by the way. And Jesus says this to kind of sum that all up. I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Folks, he came to save you and me. Because we were lost at one point. And now we've been found. But folks, there are many people outside these walls. And there are many people in Jesus' day who were lost in sin. And he came to seek them. He came to seek and to save them. And folks, without that, there's no hope. There's no hope without Jesus coming to seek and to save the lost. We're stuck in our sins without Jesus Christ coming. But he did. Folks, considering everything that we've talked about this morning, you know, leaving the fact that he left heaven, the, all the things that he went through, he still came. He still came despite all the things that he was going to face and what he was leaving, he still came for you and to me to seek and to save the lost. And it reminds me of this song, and this is where we'll end, of a song that we have started singing over the last year and a half or so. The song entitled, He Still Came. And I do want to read all of these lyrics because it, I think it, it really ties all of this together here this morning. No palace, no jewels, no kingdom to rule, no crown of majesty, no throne and no robe, no silver, no gold, no courts of royalty. Yet the king of kings left heaven to become a lowly man. He left all heaven's glory to fulfill his father's plan. Verse 2, no family, no friends to help at the end. No out, no substitute, much pain and much hurt to give love and worth. He bore our sins and grief. Yet the hope of what he offered so outweighed what must be done. He chose to be my victor and assured my pardon won. Here's the chorus. He still came just for me. He still came. Knowing all he would endure, he still came. Disregarding every cost from the manger to the cross. He still came just for me. He still came. He still came just for me. Folks, Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came for you. He came for me. And this is something that, again, we should be marveling at and thanking God for every single day of our lives. Not just one time of year, 
every day that he still came just for me and just for you. Because again, without it, where would we be? So let's be thanking him every day of our lives that he came, that he left heaven, that he endured so much here, and that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. This morning, if you feel like you need to respond to the invitation, we invite you to come forward. We'd love to pray with you and for you and help you in any way that we can. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never understood the fact that he came for you to die for you so that you could be forgiven of your sins, we'd love to talk with you about that. If you have any need this morning, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.